I'm Dante Centauri, and I love to talk about insects. I'm Mia Centauri, and I also love to talk about insects. So we'll be talking about insects together on Insect View. Today we'll be talking about the cochineal bug, which you've probably eaten and seen before. Well, I've eaten a lot of bugs before, um, but I think that's like a personal issue that I have mm. to work out. Well, really, like, it's so. when you say an edible bug, like, the cochineal bug is one that comes to mind because yeah. of the dye is used in food, but anything that's grown has, like, has bugs in it. The FDA approves a certain amount of insects in all foods, basically. Yeah. I mean, it would be ridiculous to assume you're never going to be eating. I mean, it's just, it, they're in everything. Yeah, because, like, so. whenever you do industrial processing, it's just because they get scooped up, you know? Like, in the weevil, in the, sorry, in the earwig episode, we talked about how, like, there's contamination allowance for earwigs. Uh, most grains have contamination allowance. I was looking through the FDA page, and the, it's all just like red, like ginger, whole, you know, 3% or more pieces by weight are insect infested, you know. Figs, uh, average of 10% or more count are insect infested, but you also need insects to make figs at all. But the funny one was hops, where usually it's pretty small, but hops is average of, this is the maximum amount of insects they can have, but average of more than 2,500 aphids per 10 grams. <laughs> per 10 so, 25, how, how much does 2,500 aphids weigh? <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of aphids for 10 grams of hops. Yeah. I don't know. If you're a vegan, watch out for beer, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, next, next time you enjoy um, a nice ice cold beer, just know uh, that you're probably, it's got some good protein in there too, you know? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so don't worry about the health. The health yeah, uh, you can look it up, but like just insects are in all, in all foods, like the contamination yeah. is unavoidable. But it's co- extra protein. So. Yeah, but cochineal is one of those, uh, it's uh, intentional. Yeah, yeah, it's intentional. Yeah. And the cochineal bug that's most known for the dye specifically uh, is Dactylippus coccus. Although there are a couple other like, well, there, there are a couple other insects in the Dactylippus genus that can make a sort of red dye. The most common one and the one that's used, the one that's the best, is the Dactylippus coccus. So there are a couple other insects that are called cochineal bugs, but uh, coccus is the the real one, so to speak. Yeah. And they're in the family. Dactylipidae and the superfamily Carcardiidae, in which is the scale insect family. The kind of those sort of insects. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like we're used to being in opposition to scale bugs. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, ninety percent of the time they're just bad news. Uh, yeah, they're a very so, common pest yeah. insect. So they're, they're, the, they're the insects that kill your plants. Yeah, at home. yeah. So cochineal bugs spend a lot of time on their host plants. Really, they spend all the time on their host plants. A lot of times they will be born and develop and mature. Uh, and reproduce on the host plant, um, and that happens to be for for this cochineal bug, a, uh, a cactus in the uh, genus uh, Apuntia. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not a cactus person, mm-hmm. but um, so those are those are prickly pears. Uh, so that's that's a relatively common type of cactus that you see. Uh, we have them here in Ohio, right? Uh, yeah, the prickly pears is a common North American cactus. It's yeah. used decorationally. People eat the fruit. It's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, so there's, there's obviously the male and the female co- co- cochineal bugs. They both are pretty different, uh, in terms of their, their sexual dimorphism and the, their, in their, their lives, their life histories. Um, so the females will have, uh, all these little hairs and bristles all over their body. And those are there to actually to, to, to catch the wind. Um, and so they'll be blown away and they'll find, um, they'll find a new, a new host plant and uh, a new place to feed. Um, this is actually not too different from like how a lot of like a lot of bugs use this. They use this kind of or arthropods in general. 
Um, they'll use that kind of wind dispersal. Like, uh, spiders come to mind about how slings will disperse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's honestly... It's so small. Yeah, but... Just, yeah. Well, it's, it almost makes a little more sense for spiders because they can kind of land wherever. Yeah, yeah, spiders aren't so sp- specific. But yeah. yeah it's, it's almost it's just luck-based. Yeah, they um, basically just jump off a plant like, boy, I hope I land on a cactus yeah. or it's curtains for me. Yeah. But yeah, so, and then when they find their new host plant, uh, then they'll crawl up and they'll just start feeding on it, um, you know, like their old one. Uh, and so if they actually, if they don't, if they do miss, they'll actually just find another high point and they'll crawl up to it and they'll just, they'll, they'll roll the dice again on trying to find another, another host plant. Uh, cause otherwise they'll starve to death because they're, they're host specific. So they mm-hmm. really can't eat anything besides their host plant. So this usually is a behavior though you only see, cause this is pretty risky. So if their host plant isn't crowded and if there isn't, if there's enough food on it, then they, they won't do this, uh, because they don't have to. The kind of purpose of this is to just like uh they'll find a, a spot on the prickly pear and they'll basically just sink the they sink, sink their their little fangs into it and then they <laughs> just don't move uh ever again yeah <laughs> so, I, I think basically from the time it the female puts its mouth parts in the cactus till death it doesn't move at all yeah it's done yeah so they just are completely stationary uh their mouth parts are actually so delicate that they they can't if you were to remove one um, I mean, they're, the, the insects themselves are pretty delicate anyway, so it seems a little unlikely that you could even, like, pry one off, but if their mouth parts were to come out, they're so delicate they probably couldn't be reinserted. Um, so that's their life, is <laughs> they just stay in one spot forever, uh, which doesn't sound that bad, really. Yeah, but, like, it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and obviously the males are way different, so um, they don't do the wind dispersal thing uh, as much. It's not as important for them. Um, they'll actually stay with their mothers, and so will the, the young females as well. Mm-hmm. They'll stay next to their mothers. Um, they display some, like, you know, parental, uh, yeah. guidance. And, and the males get a bit more of a directed dispersal method, I guess, because yeah. once they kind of, after a few molts, they grow a little cocoon, and then when they come out, they've developed wings, and they use, they can use this for dispersal, but they just look for females, and they basically get about three days to do that, because they don't feed at all. Yeah. So they're, like, the clock starts ticking the second they come out of that cocoon. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of interesting because I feel like you see this kind of um, this kind of thing in like a lot of bugs where it's like the males are really short lived and they like are out to find the females and the females will live like a while and they'll stay in one spot. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of like like a Strepsitera. Yeah, it kind of comes to mind. It's a little similar to that. Or like but, a bit like kind of what we we're talking. Or about. Or like bagworms. Or bagworms, yeah. yeah. Or like in the Little Moth episode, the collections are mostly male because they're the ones who yeah. fly around and look for the females. Yeah. Females don't bother going as much. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, but it's just sort of interesting. It's an interesting mm-hmm. pattern that shows up. Yeah, guys, am I right? I was looking yeah. for girls. <laughs> you know how men are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always just. I mean, now one just, thing on the mind. <laughs> yeah, because they only have three days to live. Yeah, and there's not much wine at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bug, bug dudes, are they just, it's the only thing they think about. It's, it's literally the only thing that they're capable of thinking about. <laughs> the scale insect, we mentioned earlier that scale insects are, they're really common pests, and that makes this, uh, the, this makes the scale insect good for pest control of the prickly pear cactus, because while, like, in the States, you see it like, oh, well, it's prickly pear, you know, that's fun. Uh, they're actually super invasive in Australia, well, they were super invasive in Australia, um, Australia is just a really great place to invade, huh? Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many invasive species you hear about. It's funny. They were actually brought to Australia for the purpose of raising the cochineal insect. I'll touch on this a bit later. 
But and then the cochineal insect was used for some control in Australia. But I think the real kicker in the Australian biocontrol story was this sort of American moth that attacks the prickly pear cactus, and that's what really did in the invasive prickly pears in Australia. Like now it's it's very I don't know if it's completely under control, but it's mostly under yeah. control. In Australia. Well, I feel like it's hard for that kind of thing to be totally under mm. control, but at least man. Yeah, but it's just that's a classic like, biocontrol success story. Not yeah. the, not the cochineal, but the the moth that was introduced. Yeah, the cochineal is like a failed. I think um, it did okay. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> it just didn't, didn't yeah. define me on that. It's like um, the difference between Balto and the dog that ran yeah. for like half <laughs> of the entire, like, you know. Did the real work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for the dye, like, it they don't like it has to be farmed specifically. They don't, like, cough it up. The dye is made from the insect. And farming is a super labor-intensive process because... It's a, it's a cactus, first of all. So you have to pick these bugs off of the cactus by hand. And the, the cactus paddles are kind of transferred around to kind of start new colonies and different, and different cacti. And about like three months, the females are, are ready from that. I think it takes maybe 30,000 cochineal insects to make a couple pounds of the dye. Like, yeah, it seems like a crazy ratio, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that the thing is, is, is that that's literally the best option for... I mean, I mean that, now we have all these synthetic dyes and stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know, before we had this invented, that was, like, that was, like, the most efficient option to make red dye. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true, because, like, uh, like the, the Aztecs and the Inca had this for, like, two, three thousand years. They've, they've been using this stuff for ages. Um, but in Europe, uh, the, red, the red dye was tough to come by. They had, like, this matter root stuff, which is this rustier red, and, and the reds you could get easy were not that vibrant. And the reds, the reds that were vibrant or very bright were super hard to make like there was or they were controlled by specific groups like i think the ottomans had a method of making red that involved rancid olive oil dye and a lot of animal poop i think it wasn't any good and you could well it was good dye but it was a pain ass to make and the stuff was very small amounts and so when the spanish uh, invaded south america when they found this really bright red they were like we can do something with yeah, this that's our idea yeah <laughs> Look what we found. <laughs> and and so it actually ended up becoming like the second or third most expensive out uh, most expensive export from the New World from the Spanish. Like it was like gold, silver, and cochineal dye, because they make a lot of the stuff and it was better than anything people in Europe had at the time. Yeah. And it also didn't involve like rancid olive oil and yeah. shit. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um so yeah, so and obviously once we started developing synthetic dyes, um, they they the the use of co- cochineal dye um, did decline just because obviously uh, it's less um, labor intensive and time intensive uh, to to not have to re- to rear the cochineal I got the cochineal bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it came a bit back and forth, I think, when people started to be more into, like, natural foods. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, obviously when that stuff was first invented, it was like, oh, this is, like, amazing, then, you know, people... Yeah, like, that's, like, a thing now. Mm-hmm. Like, and also, it's it's particularly good at, like, sustaining through freezing. Like, it, it can handle freezing, it can handle processing. Uh, it, it's this water-soluble dye because... It's this water-soluble dye, and so it ends up a lot of food still and, and makeup. So you could uh, be eating bugs to mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, catch up. Yeah, when when it was kind of in its heyday, it was so valuable that uh, people would try to steal it because the the Spanish were very tight fisted about the control of it. They didn't let anyone get their hands on it. Yeah. They sold it exclusively to Spain first, and then merchants would sell it out of the country. 
and there was actually the, the, so this character named Joseph Thierry de Menonville uh, basically got he got permission from the French Admiralty to go and s- steal his stuff, and he goes in this big like adventure down through like the Spanish controlled territories where he goes from port to coast. He gets his passport stolen from him. He has to he gets kicked out of a city. He has to pretend to be the like the. He has to pretend to be having an affair with somebody. Didn't he have to like pretend to be a monk or something too? Yeah, he he jump, jumps over the city walls to get out of Veracruz. He pretends to be a monk, and then when he steals the stuff, he sneaks it out, and he gets to French-controlled New Guinea, I think, and kind of sets up a colony. But a year after that, he dies of like a fever or something, and his colony collapses. Yeah. But yeah, and a similar thing. That's how that's what happened in Australia. The at least you get a good story out of it. Yeah. Before you, before you go. <laughs> Yeah, he had hell of a tail, and the yeah. Great bug heist. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting stuff, like because the it's it's just so common. Yeah. It, it's been used for so long, and another like because a lot of the literature and historical documents related to the Inca, the Aztec, a lot of South American civilizations were destroyed. You know, there's probably they probably used it for more stuff. They probably had it for way longer, and a lot of that side of the history is just gone. You know, yeah. so you're like, well, I I've got like I found a fully translated audiobook of uh, Joseph de Melanville's entire adventure, but I, I imagine there's literature like that that's permanently lost. Oh, yeah. On, on the... Yeah, because I, mean, I bet a lot of, I mean, these books were printed so long ago, and, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, inter- it's interesting, but it's, there's not that many people out there who are clamoring to hear it, you know? Yeah, it has, like, so. like, 50 views. I think I might make it a whole episode just telling the story, yeah. it's interesting. And it's that sort of fun stuff that I like where it's a this really big, elaborate story that just kind of... No, outdated and yeah. forgotten, yeah. but it's still interesting. It's good fun. If you actually want to look for Cochinilla yourself, it's it's really common in the Frozen section, um, and there are a couple myths related to it. Where I think maraschino cherries, I think it might have been used to color them, but it was a lot of the, the myth is that beetles were used to color maraschino cherries and uh, the officers' coats in the British Redcoat Army. Yeah. The myth well, is that are. it was beetles, but it was actually the Cochinilla insect, which is not a beetle. So yeah. You can, Hit your friends and family with that little fun fact. Either way, I don't really see why that... I mean, it's just a dye, so... <laughs> yeah, but, it's so processed, yeah. too. Like, uh, the insects are crushed, some metals are added. There's no insect left. It's like a chemical extract from the insect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of... Um, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that bugs get used for, you mm-hmm. know, in our daily lives. Like, uh, like, like shellac. Is, is a, it's a, that's a big one, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think you've probably heard of that one. That's probably the most common. That's a beetle, actually. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's probably, that's probably, that's probably, probably where the mix-up. That's probably where the mix-up came from. Yeah, that's probably the, the confusion there. Mm-hmm. But um, well, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this installment of Insect View. Um, you can be sure to uh, follow us on our Twitter uh, or on our Instagram. Um, also, you know, make sure to to leave a like on iTunes or uh, wherever you're listening to us. And thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Keep an eye out for, I think I'll make an Instagram, an Instagram post something that ties along with it with a couple of common examples of calming dye usage. Yeah, that would be Or the coach nails you can kind of see. Also follow us on TikTok. Mm Mm-hmm. So. All right. See you next time. Thanks.